Oh, Heavenly Father, you are so good to your people. You're so kind. And you bless us in ways we just take for granted. And we just go through the motions of life, sometimes acting as though we deserve all of the good things and none of the bad things, when the truth of the matter is we deserve nothing but hell. But because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. I just think about that and can't help but say amen and glory, hallelujah. That's an amazing thing that you would do that for sinners like us. And Lord, we do come to you confessing the fact that even as believers, we still sin. And you still forgive. And you still have our sin debt paid for. And you still love us. And you still are living within us. And we still have a place reserved for us in heaven. And it's all because of your grace. All because of your mercy. All because of your love. And all because of your power. And we want to thank you for that. And as we think about the situations we're praying for, I pay, pray for people who are just personally burdened with sin right now. It may be an embarrassing private sin and they're bringing it to you in desperation today. And I pray you would hear their prayer and you would deliver them. I pray that people would be delivered from pornography and from affairs. I pray that people would be addicted from a bad temper and bad attitudes. I pray that people would be delivered from gossip and slander and those things that we just think are no big deal and yet they cost our Savior his life. I pray that you would take people and set them free from failure and all of the things that weigh them down, the accusation of the enemy. And I pray that you would lift them up this morning and cleanse them. And I pray that you would bless them and make them fruitful and joyful in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for people who are sick and pray that you would heal them and pray that in the process of that, while they are waiting on that, it gets discouraging, it gets hard, and they feel weak and they feel vulnerable. And I pray today they would feel strength, the strength of the Lord flowing through their life. And I pray you would give their doctors and their nurses and their therapists wisdom so that they would be able to improve. I pray for people who are caring for those who are sick. We've got quite a few of them in the church. And I pray for them because it's hard to be a caregiver. And you would know that as the good shepherd of the sheep. And I pray you would give them strength and wisdom and refreshing and encouragement today. I pray, Father, for those who are suffering economically and pray that you would help them and show them that you are the good shepherd of the sheep who provides for the needs of the sheep and let them not be afraid in spite of what the economy does in spite of what people in the government may do i pray father you would bless them and show them that you will take care of them give jobs to people who need jobs give raises to people who need raises and Open up opportunities for people who need to start their own businesses. And whatever it is, Lord, we pray that you would bless and provide. And we also want to pray for uh, these upcoming elections. And pray that uh, your will will be done. And pray that you would show your mercy and your grace and compassion toward us and toward our nation. By allowing people to be elected who will actually do what they say they're going to do. And that they would do good things and lead us in a good way. And we pray for that and pray that we would be good stewards of our freedom, to be witnesses for Christ, to worship you and to be thankful for it. And it reminds us to pray for people who live in persecuted countries today where Christians are thrown into jail and executed and persecuted for doing what we're doing today. We don't want to forget them. Bless them. Help them. 
And we pray, Lord, that at every level of our government and in our law enforcement and military and everywhere, Father, may chaplains be empowered to preach. May people hear the gospel and be saved from the president through the Supreme Court and other judges, through our Congress people, through all of those who are governors and state legislators and for mayors and city council people and for school board people. Oh, Lord, bless our schools and bless our people and bless our Christian teachers and bless students and deliver us from evil in all of this. And we pray that all of this would be done so that we can see like you did with Daniel, you delivering us from the mouths of hungry lions. And we know who that lion is that roars at us. And we pray for victory. And we thank you, Lord, that you are always with us. Thank you for heaven. Thank you for the hope of heaven. And thank you for the truth of your word that we're going to look at today. Open our eyes and make our hearts tender that we might behold wonderful things in your word and that we might live those things. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you will uh, open your Bibles, please. And we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, I remember when I was a little kid. We live so many different places, on both coasts and in Europe and different places like that. And every once in a while, we got to go back to Arkansas. We got to go back to northwest Arkansas, to Rogers, to see Grandma and Grandpa and my aunts and uncles. And uh, we'd go to church at First Baptist Church of Rogers. First Baptist Church of Rogers, that's where my grandparents went. It was a big church. It was kind of one of those churches where if you sang like we sing here, you felt like you were doing a solo and everybody was kind of looking at you. Um, you know, your voice just sort of stood out. And uh, it was a church where uh, my mom grew up. It was a church where she was baptized. It was a church my parents were married in and all of that. So every time we were there, we would go to First Baptist Church. I do remember at one point, and this is back in the days when you didn't have any instruments but a piano and an organ. Remember those days, some of you? And uh, you'd come out for the beginning of the service. You knew the service was going to begin because on either side, the choir would come out. and They would meet in the middle on every row and they had their robes on and all of that. And then the introduction would start and uh, there was a time there that I remember where they would sing a song by John W. Peterson. Now this is back in the days when John Peterson wrote most of the choral music that we sang. He was kind of a fresh, more evangelistic type writer. He wrote a lot of Christmas musicals back in the day and this is one of his songs and the songs the lyric would start out with the choir singing real loud wonderful message we bring wonderful carol we sing wonderful words of the king jesus is coming again now some of you who are from first southern ought to remember that and they would sing coming again coming again Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, and maybe soon. You all said, will be soon. Coming again, coming again. Oh, what a wonderful day it will be. Jesus is coming again. What a way to start a service. To think about the coming of Christ. Life is short, and Jesus is coming. And we forget that sometimes. How many of us, I say us because I'm including myself, went through even a single day last week, maybe even more than that, where we didn't give the coming of Jesus a single thought? 
Because we all know it's going to happen, but, oh, well, someday, later on, maybe. And some of that is because I grew up in an era where everything was prophecy. You go to church, you'd see a big chart on the wall and all that kind of stuff, and everything was prophetic, and everything was fulfilling this and fulfilling this and fulfilling this. Well, some of it turned out not to be so true. And uh, I can remember everybody was just kind of in a, a fevered pitch about all of that. Anytime anything would happen, oh, that's the mark of the beast. Oh, that's a, all of those kind of things. Well, what happens when you have that over and over and over and over and over again? Then it sort of fizzles or settles down. After a while, you get to where you go, oh, yeah, he's coming someday. But let's just live life. Okay. Did you know that the second coming of Christ is a very important doctrine in the Scripture. Very important. We sing a song that says, There will be a day, and then it names different things. And I love it when it gets to the last part of it. It goes, Let this be the day. And that's what I was thinking of when I wrote this title with the text we're going to look at today. May this be the day. Can you imagine if we heard a shout and a trumpet and we were taken out of here today? I was talking with my Sunday school class, and there are so many people that kind of have weird, goofy ideas about the coming of the Lord. There are some people who think that uh, we, if we will get our act together, the Lord is standing ready to come and ready to usher in the time of tribulation, and then all of a sudden Christians do some things and vote a certain way and act a certain way, and he goes, oh, okay, well, not today. And he backs off. And they act, and I've heard it preached, that we can actually delay the Lord's coming. That's not true. There's an hour set for that that no one's going to change. No one knows the day or the hour, so stay away from the date setters. They're nuts. Okay? And uh, remember that. But other people think, too, that we can, if we get our act together, we will hasten the coming of Christ. He wasn't going to come until 10 years, but oh, there's such revival and such a renewal and such a forsaking of sin and people are witnessing and growing in the Lord that the Lord says, okay, they've got my kingdom ready, now I can come. Well, i got news for you. He's not waiting on you and he's not uh, setting his agenda by you or by me. He's sovereign. He's got an agenda. And so we get all kinds of mixed up days. In fact... Um, there was uh, one guy, a word faith guy, Jesse Duplantis, I think it might have been, who uh, actually said the reason the Lord hasn't come yet is because you are not giving enough. Okay, so there we go. And if you believe that, I wouldn't mind having a private plane myself, right? But that's where it all goes, doesn't it? Follow the money. Okay, so I'm here to say today that Jesus is coming again, and we need to be aware of it. We need to think about it. We need to tailor our lives about it, and we need to be excited about it. I mean, why would anybody want to live in a way to where, okay, we got our act together. It's not the end yet. I kind of want the end to come. I want Jesus to return. I want to be with him. I want to be with all the saints of all of the ages. We should desire that. We should be like the Apostle John who said, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
And we ought to want him to come. We ought to anticipate his coming. We ought to think about his coming. You say, well, now can't you go too far with that? Yeah, that was the problem in uh, Thessalonica. There were some false teachers there who came in and they got the church, of, that church of baby believers who had not been instructed because Paul wasn't there very long. They didn't have a Bible they could open like we can. And they couldn't read the book of Revelation. It hadn't been written yet or any of those things. So they were getting all mixed up. You know what these people were telling them? Ah, oh, you're waiting for the Lord to come? Oh, yes, won't it be wonderful? Eh, sorry, you missed it. What? Yeah. And they were also uh, concerned about this. Well, if the Lord has come, what happens to us? And then there were others who were thinking, well, if the Lord hasn't come, I mean, we're all waiting for him to come. Well, Grandma died. What about her? Does she miss the coming of the Lord? What is going to happen? And you had some people that were just confused and they were discouraged and they were heartbroken because they thought their loved ones had just missed it. And then there were others who were messed up thinking, well, if Jesus is coming today, why should I go to work? Why should I pay my mortgage? Why should I feed my children? And so they're sponging off of rich members in the church while they just sit around waiting for Jesus to come and all of that. Second Thessalonians gets into that even more. Second Thessalonians is the one where Paul actually says concerning church members. Church members there. If a man won't work, neither shall he eat. Can you imagine? Pastor, we're hungry and we need all of this. Are you working? No. Sorry. Enjoy the hunger pangs. That's what Paul said, isn't it? It's kind of harsh, you know, for our ears today. But uh, that was what he said. And he didn't say that because he's mad at anybody and he didn't want anybody to starve. He wanted those who could work to go to work. Now, obviously, it's different for people who can't work. Did you hear me? Can't is different than won't. Can't is different than won't. You know, in our society today, everywhere you go, help wanted, help wanted, help wanted. And uh, lately, when we were needing to do some work on Mama Lou's house, we talked to people that get bids on that, and they said, well, we can't get it to eight weeks. Eight weeks? Don't you guys like to work? And one of the guys said, well, we would, but we can't find crews. Another guy told me, he goes, yeah, I'll have people show up for work in the morning, and then at noon they leave, and we don't see them again. They don't even come to get their checks. You know, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Because we're used to the government stepping in, bailing out, helping, and that type of thing, which was never the way it was really designed to be. And we need to get back to the right work ethic. If a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. That would change a lot of things in people's lives. And especially even in the church, it was supposed to be that way. Again, difference between can't and won't. Can't and won't. Keep that in mind. And helping people and loving people and all that, that doesn't negate any of that. It just is talking about people that are just consciously sponging off of others. And all of this was tied back to their misunderstanding of eschatology or the second coming of Christ or the doctrines of last things. And so Paul, as we get into the beginning of chapter 4... He uh, wants us to know some things about this because this really is a, uh, a big deal. Now, one of the things that, uh, doing some research, I found out that the coming of Christ is kind of like 
um, a deployed soldier when he returns to his family. Do you ever watch any of those videos? Because I'm a military brat, and because my dad was in uh, deployed in war zones uh, when I was growing up, I remember what it was like when he would come home. And so when I watch some of these videos, that uh, they do these surprises. Okay? Now, my dad never surprised us. We pretty well knew what was going on. But nowadays, they make these surprises. And here's a little kid. He's doing a little Christmas play at school. And he comes out, and he's got, you know, whatever. He's dressed up like a reindeer or something. And then he sees his daddy or his mama from Iraq. And they're sitting in the audience, and he just loses it. Does that ever get to any of y'all? And when they hug and do all that, man, I'm so thankful for people who will do that because I'm a former military brat. We did that and we lived that life and we were, you know, doing that kind of a sacrifice for our nation. We were included in that. We don't get any benefits, but we were included in it. And it's hard and it's a wonderful thing. Well, what do you suppose it's going to be like when all of a sudden... The imminent return of our Lord takes place on a day that nobody thinks it's going to happen. For in an hour you think not, the Bible says. Well then, here comes the Lord. And can you imagine what you're going to feel? You're going to be like the little kid in the reindeer costume that is so excited. And I wonder if we'll burst into tears. I wonder if there'll be shouts of joy. I wonder just, of course it'll be so fast. I don't know how we'd watch it. Because it's in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. But can you imagine what that reunion is going to be like? Like a deployed soldier returning home. Christ comes back for us. His bride, his church, his people. And we're caught up to be with him. And Paul is going to talk about that. Are these things important? You know, there are some people who say, I'm a premillennialist. Well, I'm a postmillennialist. And I can't say that. And other people say, well, I'm a panmillennialist. What in the world is that? It'll all pan out. Right? Well, that's not entirely untrue. I'm a little bit more sympathetic toward that than I used to be because the truth is none of us really have the order of events and the meaning of the events all nailed down. There have been times we've had to change things. When I was a kid growing up, we were absolutely sure, well, at least the people that preached to me, were absolutely sure that the Soviet Union was going to take over the world and communism would be that and the mark of the beast and all of that. Then the Soviet Union fell and they were like, oh, well, what do we do now? Scripture is still true, but it's not always, not all, our understanding of it is not always accurate, Right? And so it will all pan out. That's the one thing. We may not be specifically right about everything, but every true Orthodox believer believes this. Jesus is coming again. If you don't believe that, you're not saved. Now, we may have different ways we look at that and view that. Some are good, some are not so good, some are acceptable, some are just a difference of opinion, different things like that. And we shouldn't fight over all of that because the one unifying truth that we all have is Jesus is coming again. One guy may say, like some early Southern Baptists did, that, uh, well, the, there's no earthly kingdom, that's all just a spiritual thing that we're living in now. Okay, well, I think you're wrong about that, but do you believe Jesus is coming again? Oh, absolutely. Shake hands, brother. We're both watching for the king, right? And you can apologize to me later, but we're just watching for the king. 
When Dr. Criswell got uh, to be the pastor of First Baptist Dallas, his predecessor had been there almost 50 years before he got there. And so uh, they were drafting an Articles of Faith, and Criswell was a premillennialist, and George W. Truett was an amillennialist. And so they're rewriting all of this, and one of the deacons said, uh, but Dr. Criswell, Dr. Truett couldn't sign this part about the second coming of Christ. And Dr. Criswell uh, when he was telling us his story, he said, I just grinned at him and said, he could now. Right? And so, uh, you know, we have differences of opinion that are not tests to fellowship. But the thing we all agree on, Jesus is Lord and Jesus is coming again. And so before we get into any of the specifics of what Paul said, I want to talk about that in the context and the light of the Thessalonian believers that this is important because one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament refers to the second coming of Christ. That's a big deal, folks. One out of every 25. It was talked about a lot. The Lord talked about it a lot. Paul talked about it. I mean, uh, virtually all of them talked about it. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament uh, refers to the coming of Christ. And even think about this, when we do the Lord's Supper like we did recently, did you know that that's even tied to the second coming? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. listen to this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. That's what we focus on, the body and the blood sacrifice for us. Oh, but then there's this phrase, until he comes. Even when we do the Lord's Supper, it's about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, Where is the presence of the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Like it's just day after day. Yeah, everybody said that. And we tend to dismiss this thing when anybody brings it up and go, Yeah, well, everybody thought that. Well, we're supposed to think that. You say, well, the 2,000 years ago, the early church thought the Lord was going to return in their lifetime. They were supposed to think that. In the Middle Ages, they were supposed to think that. 40 years ago, they were supposed to think that. And more importantly, we are supposed to think that. Every day, we should be thinking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes this to the Thessalonian believers. And the first part of this is simply to build them up, encourage them, and let them know that they're not left out, their loved ones aren't left out, and they haven't missed it. It's all in control. And here's how he lays it out. So let's read together in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 is what we'll look at today. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, means those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe, and that word if there could also be translated since. Let's read it like that. So, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now how do we know that sleep is talking about death? Because I don't tend to sorrow and grieve when somebody takes a nap. Can you imagine? Honey, I'm going to go lay down for a little bit. No! You know, that type of thing. 
Wouldn't that be weird? I told you I'd get an extra hour of sleep and, you know, all that happens. So he's talking there about death, where we sorrow, where we grieve at them. And we can sorrow and grieve. We should sorrow and grieve. You need to get that out. You need to express it. But we don't want to do it as those who have no hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. Trust me. I've done a fair amount of funerals. You can tell the difference in a family of Christians with a Christian person that you were burying as opposed to those families who have no hope and they literally think that that last look in the coffin is the last time they will ever be with that person. And I mean it tears your heart out when you see them like that. And Paul said, I don't want that to happen to you. You're not supposed to sorrow like a person who is hopeless at the point of the death of a loved one, you see? And so this is all about comforting them. It's not so much about informing them and putting all their charts up and having them fight over when something's going to happen and what something is. It's not about that. This is something that is supposed to settle them down. And sadly, throughout the years of my life anyway, many times teachings about prophecy and the second coming of Christ stirred up anger and division and debate. And uh, sometimes even just the, the people would get into fights and arguments about it. And Paul writes all of this very obviously in this introduction because it's supposed to soothe. It's supposed to settle us down. It's supposed to give us a calm and a confidence. And we don't even live in the persecution that they were living in. You can imagine if it, the persecution was bad enough to drive Paul out of town, these people had to stay in it and they had to live in all of that. And this is supposed to settle them down and give them peace in the midst of all of their persecution. I'm afraid we've done a real injustice to what Paul's intent was here because uh, we tend to mess it all up. So let's think about four things here. Number one, when Paul writes about this, think about the word clear. These people were so confused, they were so mixed up. Who goes? Who doesn't go? Who gets included? Who's not included? When did it happen? Has it already happened? Did I miss it? All of that stuff that's going on. And Paul is just going, hey, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Listen, this is what it's all about. It was supposed to make things clear because he said, I do not want you to be ignorant brethren. Now, I had a professor one time that taught Old Testament and she uh, never married. She was probably up in her 70s by this point and uh, she had never married. And somebody said, uh, why have you never married? And she goes, it's biblical. I would not have you ignorant brethren. Get it? Yeah. Well, Paul is saying here, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. Ignorant about what? Ignorant about the coming of the Lord. Why? Because when you're ignorant, that's when you get confused. When you're ignorant, that's when somebody can tell you a lie. When you're ignorant about something and you're not sure what is going to happen, you don't really understand it, and that's when you can really get uh, in trouble. Fear, confusion, doubt, and even falsehood. All of that. And the second coming and the doctrine of the second coming should clarify things for it. It should clarify things. It make things clear. This is how we ought to live day by day. What do I do today? I'm thinking in light of what if Jesus came today? What if today was the last day that I had? What would it do to you? How would you live? How would you treat your spouse if you knew Jesus is coming today? It's the way you ought to live every day. How would you... 
deal with your finances if you knew Jesus is coming today. Now, obviously, I know I probably wouldn't go buy a house on a 30-year mortgage if Jesus is coming at the end of the day. I'd just wait. So I know it does change some things. But at the same time, I would probably be a better steward of my money, wouldn't I? I might catch up on my giving to the church or something like that. I might do something for somebody else. I might look at somebody and say, here, bud, take my wallet. I'm not going to need it. You're going to need it more than I will. Uh, you know, it would change everything, the way we look at things. And what about dealing with and forsaking sin? Someday I'm going to quit. Someday I'm going to overcome this. Well, if you knew Jesus is coming today, you would say, today I'm going to do that. And you would do business with God. It'd make a difference in the way that you worked. It'd make a difference in your attitudes. And it'd make a difference even in your politics, wouldn't it? Wouldn't be so uptight, wouldn't be so burdened about everything because you knew God was coming in control and He was coming by the afternoon. So, you know, take it away, have at it. And uh, that's the way we're supposed to live within reason, understand, within reason, because you do have responsibilities. You are supposed to take care of things. It's okay to plan for the future. But keep in mind, Jesus could be coming at any given time. So it's supposed to clarify things and clarify life and the way that we live. Would I actually do this, live like this, talk like this, engage in these things if I knew Jesus is coming? Keep that in mind. It makes things clear. Are the Romans in control? No, Jesus is coming again. Maybe the Thessalonians would think. Okay. Number two. It's also supposed to be comforting. This is not something that's supposed to divide us and make us fight. The truth of the matter is, Jesus is coming again. That's the main thing. And we all who are believers agree on that. Concerning those, Paul said, who have fallen asleep. Comforting about even those who have died. Because we don't want to sorrow like those who have no hope. So what about those who die before the return of Christ? Some of the Thessalonians apparently believed that they were just going to miss out on everything. And they would, uh, you know, if, if grandpa dies and we bury him, it's not only sad that he died and we buried him, it's sad because we're never going to see him again. He's going to miss the coming of the Lord. You say, how could they? But they didn't have a Bible like you do. What kind of weird conclusions would you come to if you didn't have the Word of God and somebody to help you learn the Word of God and books that talked about these things? Uh, think about it. they didn't have any of those things. And so false teachers would come in and to try to disrupt the church and sow seeds of discord in the church. They would say, yeah, well, sorry, Grandpa didn't make it. Hopefully you live and you'll make it. You say, who would be preposterous enough to believe that? Did you know that Jehovah's Witnesses teach that only 144,000 are actually going to make it into the kingdom? That's that kind of thing. It comes from the enemy. It's wrong. It sows error and discord. And they were falling for some of this type of stuff. And so Paul has a good word for them. No, those who die in Christ are going to be involved in all of this. And you are going to see them again. It was a very comforting thing. We're going to see them again. Paul is saying it's okay to grieve. Just don't sorrow without hope. And so how are we supposed to sorrow? Sorrow, yes, but do it with the hope. Hope that the Lord's going to return. Hope that they're coming out of the grave. Hope that we're going to be together with the Lord in heaven. Hope that uh, death, hell, and the grave has been defeated through Christ on the, on his, with his death on the cross. And so this is supposed to make us different. Our approach to life, the way that we live, the way that we look at death, the way that we look at the afterlife, all of those things that terrify the world don't terrify us. And so we live 
in the hope of the coming of the Lord. And we look forward to the coming of the Lord because we want to be with our bridegroom. We want to be with our king. We want to be with our savior. We want to be with our Lord. And he's much more important than any other reunion that you will have in heaven. Number three, I want you to notice something else that bothers me about so many people's approach to prophecy. Obviously, it's Christ-centered. So many people, they're so concerned about what's the mark of the beast. Can I just answer? Who cares? Who cares? It'll happen when it happens, and it'll be the way God ordained it, and it may the technology may not even exist now. It's foolish to speculate about those things. Some people say, well, I wouldn't do that. That's the mark of the beast. No, it's not the mark of the beast because there is no beast yet. Not until there's a one world government, not until there's a man of sin that Paul will tell these people in 2 Thessalonians that's going to be revealed, not until that time. The rest of it, it, it may be pointing that way. And don't think that the devil doesn't try. I think uh, people like uh, Hitler and the Caesars and those kind of people, they want to rule the world, they want to control people, they want to wipe out people. I think that's an attempt to kind of raise up an antichrist. The book of 1 John says that antichrists are already in the world, uh, but no, God says, nope, not time, nope, not time, get out of here, not time, move away, move on, and he'll take care of it when it's the time. But what does that do for us? We're so concerned about what the mark of the beast is, we forget that the second coming is really about Jesus, not all that other stuff. We're so concerned about when and the timing and where it's all going to be, we take our eyes off of Jesus. Because Paul said in this very next phrase, for if or since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, hey, that's the crux of the matter. It's the gospel. It's our king. It's our Lord. It's about Jesus. It's about being with him. And so much of our study, so much of our speculation, so much of our, well, let's just put it this way, shared ignorance about all of this, because there's a lot we don't know. Read the late great planet Earth that was written, what, 40, 50 years ago? And it's almost like a science fiction novel or something like that. And uh, so many things have not panned out. And uh, we look like fools when we do that because it's not about the events. It's not about the stuff. It's about Jesus. And so we look at everything and we ought to say, man, Jesus could come today. And there are some people who go, oh, I'm not so sure. Boy, times are going to get rough before he comes. So you love the events more than you love Jesus. You need to repent. And get your eyes upon him. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. It's about going to heaven. It's about being with him. It's about seeing him. It's not about the economy or the antichrist or the mark of the beast or anything. It's a Christ-centered event. And then number four, the Thessalonians needed to know it's comprehensive. What do I mean by that? Nobody's left out. It includes every saint of every nation of every time period. All of us are going to be involved in this. Even so, look at this. God will bring with him those who sleep, those who have died in Jesus. What? They didn't miss it? No, they're actually seeing it from a different vantage point. Christ is going to come, and you and I are going to see him and be drawn to him in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's going to be great. Except there are some other people that are going to be with him, and they're going to be there at the same time, looking at it from a different perspective, looking down on it. 
Do you remember when your grandma used to embroider? Remember that hoop thing? And they do that with a needle and thread. Remember that? Remember being a little kid and looking underneath? What did it look like? A mess. Grandma's lost it. She thinks that's pretty. Ooh. She's going to put that on a pillowcase? Oh, man. But when you looked at it from grandma's perspective, what did you see? My grandma liked butterflies. There's right there a beautiful butterfly. It looks different from the top than it does from the bottom. And that's the way it is. Those Old Testament saints and those uh, believers that have gone on before us, they see everything from the top down. They see the beauty of what God has woven. We look up and we see a mess. What is happening? What is going on? How can this fit? What in the world? I don't understand all of this. Figure something out. Give me some answers. Well, the answer is you've got to look at it from God's perspective. And the, Paul said that when that day comes, there are going to be those believers that you were told were left out. No, they're up there with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And it says right here, the Lord on that day is going to bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So there's this big movement in heaven as the saints of the ages follow Christ down to the clouds where we hear the voice of the archangel and the trumpet and then the dead in Christ rise first and then we who are alive and remain are caught up together to be with him in the air and thus shall we ever be with the Lord. What a glorious day that's going to be. And so that told the Thessalonian believers something. Your loved ones who died before you, maybe through sickness, maybe through persecution, maybe through old age, they die and they're buried. They're not missing it. They're waiting for it, just like you are, just on the other end. They're in the upper story, I guess we would say. It also tells us this. You see, if uh, you've ever been uh, a part of the Jehovah's Witness movement, they teach a thing called soul sleep. So do Seventh-day Adventists. I've got a lot of family who believe that. And what they believe is you, when you die, your soul stays with your body in the grave until the return of the Lord. It's called the doctrine of soul sleep. And they base it on things like uh, on the Psalms, David might say, what about the dead? Will the dead praise you? And they take that to mean, no, the dead don't praise you. They're in the grave with that. And uh, they don't understand David's just talking about the body, not the spirit. And uh, they, uh, Daniel rested with his fathers and different things like that. And so uh, they believe that the soul stays there. And the uh, Adventists believe that only the righteous are raised up. The rest of them are annihilated. They don't really believe in a literal hell or anything. It's all messed up. Well, just from these verses, we see some things. Is there soul sleep? Does the soul stay with the body in the grave until Jesus returns again? No, because when the Lord returns, he's bringing them where? With him. They're not in the grave. They're with him. It also says the dead in Christ will rise first. How come they rise first? Uh, I'll tell you my dad's interpretation of that because they need a six-foot head start. That's what he said. He always said that if he's alive whenever this takes place, he goes, I'd like to be standing by your mom's grave. I said, why? He said, because she'll get a six-foot head start, and then I'll take her hand, and we'll both just go up together. Isn't that a nice thought? Makes the grave a different place. Instead of him seeing it as a place of depression and despair and finality, he saw it as a place of hope. 
There's a better day coming. And even that body that's buried there, God's not finished with it yet. And it's coming out of there one of these days. And that's the way the Bible teaches and that Paul is teaching the Thessalonians. This doctrine is to give us comfort. And it's to give us hope. It's to give us clarity about life and all that we do. And it's supposed to be Christ-centered. And by the way, here's the good news. It's comprehensive. All God's children are going to be in this living or dead, it doesn't matter. All of this is going to happen. Now, how is it going to happen? I am a premillennialist, and I believe in the literal rapture that we're going to read about here, and then a tribulation period, and then the millennial reign of Christ. I've got friends who don't believe it quite that way, and some have different points where they think the rapture is going to be in, and uh, that's just we we just speculate on some of those kind of things. Um, other people that they believe that the kingdom the come is the spiritual kingdom that's kind of taking place now. I disagree with that, but it doesn't kick them out of the kingdom, right? They have a right to be wrong, and uh, you know. But uh, nonetheless, the truth of the matter is, when it all comes down to it, none of us have full understanding. And far too many of us have bought into speculation of somebody that seemed to know it and be authoritative on it. Some things are really crystal clear. That's what we need to major on. Other things are just kind of... You know, well, they might fit today and today's technology, but 10 years from now, what we preach so adamantly today will probably be way out of date. So we don't really know exactly how it's going to pan out and it's all come together, but we know it will be. And don't let that upset you. To uh, those of you who are a little younger, I'm going to tell you something that's going to shock you. Did you know... That I actually lived in a time when you went to the airport, you could go through security all the way to the gate where the passengers came off of the plane. Can you believe that? All that changed after 9-11, and 9-11 is ancient history, by the way, folks. Remember when that was? Remember you'd be out there and sometimes somebody would have a sign, you know, welcome home, dad, or, you know, whatever. And there's a lot of hugging and stuff going on right there. And I can't do that now, but back then you could. Now, let's say that Sammy has gone on a trip and it's time for her to come home. And she told me that I'm on American Airlines flight number 222 and that I'm coming in at gate 8 at Will Rogers Airport. Okay. So I get there, and I get there a little bit early. It's, uh, you know, I don't know, 10 after 2. And I walk through security, and I go back there, and I'm standing there at gate 8. Here's gate 8. She told me, gate 8. I'm waiting at gate 8. I don't see a plane. don't see any other people waiting here. Why am I the only one waiting here? That's odd. Well, I'll wait. She said it was gate 8. I'm sure it's gate 8. Okay. And uh, I wait, and then I hear a commotion to my right. And down at gate 16, passengers are disembarking their plane. And they're coming on, and there's laughter, and there's hugging, and there's tears, and all of that. And I go, well, that'd be nice. Where in the world? Man, it's past time. Where, where is she? She said gate 8. Then all of a sudden, I see her. Okay? What am I going to do? You told me gate 8. I probably would, but no, no, I wouldn't do that. Okay? 
We're going to hug. She's going to give me a kiss. Going to be happy that she's home. And we're going to go to our home. Okay? You know what the deal is? I'm just going to be happy she's there. I don't care if it's gate 8. I don't care if it's gate 16. Doesn't matter. The goal was to get her home and to be back together again. Now, when the Lord Jesus comes back, if I'm waiting at the premillennial gate and I hear a commotion <clears throat> and there he is coming in the amillennial gate. Have you never read your Bible, Jesus? My Bible says, you know how we do with other people? No, I'm not going to do that. You know what the deal is? When he returns, all of that stuff's going to be peripheral. All that's going to be laid aside. And all of us who are true born-again believers, amillennialists, postmillennialists, pre-tribbers, panmillennialists, you know what the deal is? We're all going to raise a shout of joy and say, He's here! The Lord has returned! And it's going to be a shout of joy and victory and love. And then, according to this, we're going to be taken to the Father's house to be home with Jesus for the rest of eternity. That's what matters. And so Paul said, don't let all of this kind of stuff stir you up. It's not supposed to stir you up. It's supposed to clarify life and your calling and your walk with God for you. It is supposed to be something that comforts you. We're not going to be all fighting about this and all in a tizzy about it and separating and doing all of these kind of things. We just talk about it and then we laugh and then we move on to something we agree on. Because we agree on the fact that Jesus is coming again and the dead in Christ are going to be with him and we're going to see our loved ones again and we're going to see the defeat of death, hell, and the grave and death destroyed as the last enemy. That's a good thing to look forward to. It's going to be centered on Christ. I know you want to see Grandma. I know you want to see Mom or Dad. I, I know you do. We sing about those things and talk about it. But I also want to tell you this. When Jesus comes... You're not going to worry about them. You're going to be so focused on Him. He will be consuming everything about you. And that will be something you've never fully experienced in this life. And you are going to love it when that happens. And then fourthly, yeah, there will be those reunions. Who do you want to meet in heaven? Who do you want to see in heaven? What Bible character are you looking forward to talking to and hearing their stories? I hope they have videos, don't you? Go to the video room, and I want to see the resurrection. I want to see the corpse down there. And then I want to watch as, hey, the color's changing. And uh, Oh, the lungs, that chest is moving. Well, he's getting up. Whoa, that's how it happened. Can you imagine? I want to see creation. I want to see how, the, how did he speak that in? And what happened? What did it look like? And those type of things. I, I hope there's something like that. But you know, the main thing when we get to heaven is we are going to be forever with God the Lord and nothing else is really going to matter to the degree that Jesus matters and you are going to love it boy it's going to be great are you ready could come today if, you knew, if you've never been born again today is the day you need to get saved and repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord now, if you will see Brother Chad Trench down here at the front, if you wave, Brother Chad. 
And uh, he will be happy to get you with someone who will tell you how to be born again and how to receive the gift of eternal life. If you've got a question about church membership, he ask him. Don't ask me. Ask him. Because I may not know, but he's got all the answers. He's your answer guy here, okay? And uh, anybody to pray with you, see him. We don't ever want to leave without giving you that particular opportunity, okay? Would you pray with me? Lord, it is a marvelous message. It is a marvelous word. It is a wonderful theme. It is a wonderful thing to sing about. Jesus is coming again. And it might even before we meet again tonight. I guess the main thing is, may we keep our eyes on Jesus. May we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. May we have hope that we know that we're going to heaven and those who love Christ are going to heaven when they die. And may we keep our eyes on Jesus in all the things that we do, whether we're down here or whether it's on that day. May we always have our eyes on Christ. Soli Deo Gloria, we might say. To God be the glory. To Christ be the glory. And we say all of this and agreeing with the apostle, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Just a couple of things before we leave. Many of you have seen this on Facebook, but we have a Mission 405 project going on for Christmas. Since we have closed down our food pantry, we've been working with uh, Roosevelt Middle School and doing some things with that school to help them with food and other things. We're going to work with them for Christmas where we're going to be providing some things uh, for some students there. Some of you have already signed up for that. There's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. If you would uh, avail yourself of that, we just have a few left, so make sure you do that quickly. Adult choir, we're on the home stretch. 345 today, a little bit earlier. Just like Pastor said, you got that extra hour of sleep last night. Let's use it. We'll meet early. 345 today, adult choir, children's choir at 530. Brother Chad. Thank you. Okay, everyone, this is my niece, uh, Caitlin Pig, and she is coming to us this morning uh, to make her confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ public this morning. All right, and she uh, actually got saved at youth camp, and uh, Jenny Queen uh, counseled with her, and Michelle Trench and I counseled with her, and her testimony is good, and she would like the old man here to baptize her. And... Uh, so uh, I will be glad to do that. Um, if you accept her testimony uh, and her confession of faith, uh, her testimony is good, by the way, uh, confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and authorize me to baptize her, confirm that by saying amen. 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 All right. Okay. Real quick, church family, I just want to let you know that tonight uh, Pastor Greg has given me the green light to kind of recap what we, I talked to you guys about with our evangelistic styles the past uh, couple weeks ago. So if you have not seen, but there are uh, some pieces of paper right outside these doors that kind of help you identify and help us as the staff kind of identify where everybody kind of lands with their evangelistic style. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you can uh, come ask me about some questions. I'll, I'll give you some of the information that we gave out to everybody as well. Tonight we'll go through it and just kind of see where everybody kind of has landed. And if anybody has any 